dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in God's country crops far as I can see headlights on both ends of my day this country life is for me ride with us HPJ ride with us Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. It's spooky. (laughs) That was yesterday. Kayleen's a big believer in holidays only happen on the day the holiday exists. Outside of that day, they don't exist at all. Nope. (laughs) It was Halloween last night. Happy Halloween. Yeah. I love Halloween. I love everything that it's... I I just... I love it. It's it's so awesome. It's a fun time of, of mischief and playing different parts, you know, you can dress up and, and be whoever you want to be. What was your best costume? Are you a, are you a gory kind of costume person or are you a funny punny kind of costume person? Definitely not gory. Um, probably my most memorable one was the plastic, you know, that you step into that you, Oh, the one that now is in my nightmares. Yes. The one that's in your nightmares. It was the with the, the mask. lamb, the lamb, whatever the mask. Oh, uh, Lord, love what a was it called? Was that Sherry and yes, and lamb chop? La- you dressed as lamb chop. My like- sister, twin sister, and I both had lamb chop costumes. <laughs> okay, those those masks haunt my dreams. So thank you so much for now putting that in my head, because you can't see in the eye holes. They're just blank. They're just black eye holes. Uh, that is creepy on a yeah. level so bad. Yeah, they were kind of creepy. <sighs> that was nineteen eighty for you. <laughs> you know, I never got to have a a, a store bought costume like that. I always, you know pulled something together my favorite costume was probably the year that my mom let me wear her major her drum majorette boots <laughs> I've heard this story before <laughs> and um she she made me a green cheerleader skirt and a green Chapman Irish um cheerleader top you know because my sister was a cheerleader and I wanted to be a cheerleader <laughs> so she puts me in these boots and I didn't have good enough socks and in Chapman, they made you walk from the elementary school all the way downtown in a parade and then all the way back up the four or five blocks, all the way out to the old folks' home. <laughs> and you wander through the old folks. I had bloody feet. The, the blisters were horrible. And my, my second grade teacher asked me, are you okay? Why are you limping? Uh, no reason <laughs> don't tell my mom I'm bleeding in her boots <laughs> um but I was a, I was a cute little stinker I, I, I gotta bet. say <laughs> Chance has been talking about Halloween for a month so as soon as it turned October it was time for Halloween how are those children yours are you sure you got the right ones from home from the hospital <laughs> I guess <laughs> did you finally get them pumpkins yeah we got pumpkins we went to the electric cooperative thing they had a pumpkin painting deal and got they got a pumpkin and good we went 
after school one day and got some at Walmart too, so they could hack them up. <laughs> of course, they decide to hack them up when I'm trying to make supper. So, well, yeah, yeah. Did you do it before or after bath time? Because <laughs> it's a rookie mom mistake to let him do it after bath time. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this year there was a few of you that have been out there that might have been trick or treat sickles. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't too bad in, in Dodge. It was mm-hmm. blustery. I'm not going to lie. It was a little chilly. It um, wasn't too bad. We went to Cimarron and they have a Main Street thing where they trick and treat at the businesses up and down Main Street. And then the way this town is kind of makes it funnel, the air funnel through there. And there yeah. was no wind last night and it was beautiful. Oh, wow. It was about 55 degrees or something. I got a bone to pick with all of the trunk or treat and the group kind of things like that are set up like that. Here's the deal, folks. Put those, if they're in a, in a situation where kids are in a safer space, you know, they're, they're in a mall or they're in an apartment building or something along those lines where they're not going to get run over by, I mean, the traffic is, mm-hmm. is measured. Let's do those after dark, you know, because before dark, I'd like them to be roaming in my neighborhood while it's light out and the traffic can see them and that sort of yeah. thing. Because here's the deal. Kids will leave those safe spaces and they'll go trick-or-treating in my neighborhood at night when it's dark and you can't see. So let's kind of flip the let's flip the conversation there. Yeah. And I think they have a plethora of the trunk-or-treats, which is fine. I mean, I don't live in town, so I don't have a neighborhood to go trick-or-treat up and down the street. And we've always just gone to the trunk-or-treats. And we went to the Boo at the Zoo last weekend, which was kind of cool. Good. And it benefited the zoo, so they needed a little extra fundage. That's good. And you know what? I I love handing out candy. I love it when your kids come to visit me because they're always adorable. I I still think Sean's costume when he was a a dragon and he wiggles his tail. It's the funniest (laughs) video I've ever done. Wiggle the tail and he wiggles his tail. It's adorable. Yeah. Um No, but I, I enjoy handing out candy, but I also enjoy turning off the light and yeah. going to bed. <laughs> we went with my sister to Cimarron last night, and there's this one street there on the north side of town that apparently everybody goes to Hillside ah, to trick-or-treat. It's the Shishi neighborhood. Not necessarily. I mean, it's a oh. nice, nice neighborhood. They just have spirit? <laughs> yeah. They did the first few years. I didn't think they had as many this year because it was like every other house had their porch light on and stuff. And there was a few houses that had the yard decorated and it was cold enough where some of them had the fire pit out in the front yard. So it was pretty neat. Good. I tell you what, I, I loved Halloween as a kid. I love it as an adult. I just, there's just something about being an adult at Halloween and you're like, you know, I can give myself permission to wear a unicorn horn (laughs) and not feel bad about it. And not feel goofy. You know, it's, (laughs) Accept the the playful whimsicalness of it and, and get past the other things that you might affili- affiliate with it. Yeah. You know. My freshman year of college, we were at Hutch, at, community, at Hutchinson Community College, and there was a Halloween party at somebody's house. And so we thought, oh, let's go get some costumes. Let's go to the thrift store and get some, make some costumes and go trick-or-treating. And we did. <laughs> we spent about eight bucks on four people and... <laughs> that was a, costumes. That was a routine in college for date parties was to go to the thrift store and figure out your your date party costume. Yep. Um I think one year I went as a deviled egg and then the next year I went from a cow, as a cowgirl from Hick. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah. 
But yeah, it's a busy week. Uh, National FFA convention kicked off, Kayleen. Yeah, I just saw some pictures on social media. Well, good luck to everybody that's competing. Do you Did you ever get to go to National Convention? No, we never went to National. I was in FFA my freshman and sophomore year of high school. So You were two years up on me because I never got to be in FFA. <laughs> I, you know, back when I was in school in the early 90s, there was a really strong push. If you were in the gifted program, they pushed you towards math and science and, and language classes and that sort of thing. And away from the applied sciences like agriculture and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I I followed what they told me I needed to do. <laughs> so yeah. there was a choice between taking, you know, French one and intro to ag to be into the to get into the FFA program and I took French. <laughs> Can't speak but three words of French. Yeah, it really benefited you, didn't it? <laughs> and now I write for High Plains <laughs> Journal, so. <laughs> My dad was in FFA, and he was told us, you know, you could have, you do it for a few years, and if you like it, you can stay in. And we were, my sister and I were in there for two years, and they had jud- livestock judging, so mm-hmm. of course, you know. And we were the Southwest District Dairy Judging Champions one year, so. Ooh. Yeah. You can judge udders. Yeah. You play them like you're going to place a beef class, and then you flip it. Are you utterly awesome? No. <laughs> it's probably one of the only pins I got. It's <laughs> from Legendary. Um, let's see here. Well, hey, in other news, uh, USDA, Kayleen, released its final, well, its interim rules, but these are really going to be the final rules for, for hemp production this week. It's really good news for farmers because these rules provide a sort of federal umbrella for those guys that are in states that maybe haven't yet created their industrial hemp programs or, and and it also allows for crop insurance. And so now you can qualify for crop insurance if you're growing industrial hemp. That's a big thing for a lot of these guys. They need to be able to manage their risk, especially when they're spending so much on hemp. And later on in the program, we're going to have more from USDA on these new rules. If you've got a comment or thought, drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. Or you can always comment on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you like what you hear, do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the October 28th print edition. We've got that news from USDA about the new hemp program's NRM rules. And Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets. So... Maybe let yourself have one more peanut butter cup if you aren't already gorged on peanut butter cups. I haven't had any yet. (laughs) (laughs) And sit back and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week, web editor Shauna Rumbaugh brings us the cover for our ag research and technology issue, Bots on the Ground. She writes about unmanned vehicles that collect valuable data under the crop canopy, which in turn helps farmers make better production decisions. Inside, field editor Lacey Newland writes about Kansas Extension holding ATV safety courses in Gray County on page 5. On page 6, field editor David Murray writes about the report from the Corps of Engineers Missouri River Basin Management Division Update. 
On our editorial page, editor Dave Bergmeier writes about the hidden dangers of untrained ATV riders. Seymour Clearly writes about the White House self-guided tours. And Aaron Sawyers, Comanche County, Kansas, Ag and Natural Resources agent, writes us a letter about how 4-H brightens his community. On page 12, Jenny has a preview of one of our keynote speakers for Soil Health U, Ray Archuleta, founder of Understanding Ag and the Soil Health Academy. Hear more from Ray and others at our third annual Soil Health U and Trade Show, January 22nd and 23rd. Early bird registration is just $75 until November 18th. Kayleen has the latest from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration on page 15. Their monthly climate and drought summary and outlook takes a hard look at the weather and crop concerns across the middle part of the U.S. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. High Plains Journal has a crop of U events coming to a location near you this winter. Our first ever Cotton U will be December 5th, held with the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show in Amarillo, Texas. Registration is limited to the first 150, so be sure to visit cottonu.net and reserve your seat today. And our Soil Health U and Trade Show is back for a third year, January 22nd and 23rd at the Tony's Pizza Event Center in Salina, Kansas. Early bird registration is just $75 until November 18th, so don't delay. You'll get three keynote speakers, more than 20 breakout sessions, and a two-day trade show where you can talk to businesses that can help you on your soil health journey. Visit www.soilhealthu.net and register today. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue announced October 29th the establishment of the U.S. Domestic Hemp Production Program. This program was required by the 2018 Farm Bill, and it will create a consistent regulatory framework for hemp production throughout the United States. We heard from USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation Bill Northey and Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs Greg Ibach following the announcement. Today, I'm pleased to announce that USDA has published a rule establishing the U.S. Domestic Hemp Production Program. We said we'd get it done in time for producers to make planning decisions for 2020, and we followed through. We have our teams operating with all hands on deck to develop a regulatory framework that meets congressional intent while seeking to provide a fair, consistent, and science-based process for states, tribes, and individual producers who want to participate in this program. As mandated by Congress, our program requires all hemp growers to be licensed and includes testing protocols to ensure that hemp grown under this program is hemp and nothing else. USDA has also worked to provide licensed growers access to loans and risk management products available for other crops. As an interim final rule, the rule becomes effective immediately upon publication in the Federal Register. But we still want to hear from you. Help us make sure the regulations meet your needs. That's why the publication of the interim final rule 
also includes a public comment period, continuing a full and transparent rulemaking process that started with a hemp listing session all the way back in March 2019. At USDA, we're always excited when there are new economic opportunities for our farmers, and we hope the ability to grow hemp will pave the way for new products and markets. But I encourage all producers to take the time to fully educate themselves on the processes, requirements, and risks that come with any new market or product before entering this new frontier. The Agricultural Marketing Service will be providing additional information, resources, and educational opportunities on the new program. And I encourage you to visit the USDA HEMP website for more information. As always, we thank you for your patience and input during this process. Agriculture Secretary, Sonny Purdue. Before we hear from the undersecretaries live in the studio, this reminder for reporters and members of the media, if you wish to ask a question of either Undersecretary Ibaugh or Northey after the opening remarks, please press star 1 on your telephone touchtone pad. It's now my pleasure to introduce Undersecretaries Greg Ibaugh and Bill Northey. Gentlemen? Uh, thank you very much. AMS is very happy today to be able to share the interim final rule for hemp production. We're also looking forward to working with the entirety of the hemp industry as we move forward to uh, consider state plans, tribal plans, and work with producers who want to uh, uh, produce hemp but don't have uh, the ability to operate under a state plan uh, but have the authorization to. So as you know, the 2018 Farm Bill removed industrial hemp from Schedule One of Controlled Substances Act and also directed USDA to develop a domestic production program. And we will work with states and Indian tribes to establish uh, approval of their federal plans, and we will also work with producers in states or tribes that do not have a USDA-approved plan, as long as the production of hemp is not prohibited in those states. The 2014 Farm Bill extended the provisions or the provisions of the 2014 Farm Bill were extended 12 months uh, after the USDA rule is published uh, in the 2018 Farm Bill. With the publication of the interim final rule, states and Indian tribes may not prohibit the interstate transportation or shipment of hemp lawfully produced under an approved state or tribal plan a USDA-issued license, or the 2014 Farm Bill. The interim final rule is effective upon publication in the Federal Register, and we have been uh, told by the Federal Register that will happen on October 31st. It includes, uh, as the Secretary acknowledged, a public comment period that will allow USDA to seek input on the rule as it is enacted. We will use the 2020 growing season as a chance to test drive the interim rule to guide any adjustments that are made in the final rule. Procedures for testing uh, for the concentration levels of THC, procedures for disposing of non-compliant plants, compliance provisions on how to handle violations uh, that could involve inspections on farms or as a result of inspections on farms, procedures to share information with law enforcement, and then we also are going to assure that 
states and tribes that have programs are have resources available to manage those plans. There will be a 30-day waiting period for USDA to start looking to license producers whose states and tribes do not submit plans for approval. And uh, we want uh, those uh, states that plan to submit plans to uh, be assured that all producers in their state will be operating under their state plan as we move forward. Uh, just some of the also going on with key provisions, some of the key questions we have uh, been being asked over the development of the rule center around testing. And so I'd like to just highlight a few of those provisions right now. And so uh, we're going to require testing to be done in a DEA registered laboratory. Sampling must be conducted within 15 days prior to anticipated harvest by a USDA approved sampling agent or a federal state or law enforcement agent uh, that is local that uh, will collect samples from the flower material. We're also attaching outside of the interim final rule a guidance document that will uh, include the specific steps for sampling, including how to collect a statistically representative sample of the producer's crop. And we'll also uh, consider alternative sampling and testing protocols uh, that states might submit if we believe they will result in a comparable or similarly reliable uh, testing results. And uh, we also have been, had, have been having questions about um, those uh, results that may fall outside the point three, which is established by the statute as the, uh, the line between hemp and marijuana. And uh, so in the testing results, we will look at a measurement of uncertainty that must be estimated and reported with test results to the, ensure the test uncertainty is taken into account. If the actual THC level is within the range of the measurement of uncertainty, the results will be considered acceptable. A measurement of uncertainty is a scientific calculation that makes allowances for variation in sampling and testing procedures. Also, there is a provision in the statute that uh, uh, identifies at what level a crop is considered, you're considered a negligent violation, and that has been established to be uh, above 0.5% THC. AMS will work with states and tribes to approve uh, their plans uh, as soon as possible. As you know, the statute provides for those plans to be uh, evaluated within 60 days after their submission, and uh, we plan to work in an interactive basis with those states and tribes as we move forward to assure that producers will have plans available to them for the 2020 growing season, if at all possible, in those states and under tribal um, plans as well. Uh, for more information, our website is www.ams.usda.gov backslash rules-regulations backslash farm bill. Dash Hamp. Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. 
We now turn it over to Undersecretary Bill Northey. Um, and thank you, Undersecretary Ibaugh. Uh, this rule uh, enables USDA's Farm Service Agency, Natural Resources Conservation Service, and Risk Management Agency to determine for farmers who want to grow hemp their eligibility for various USDA programs, including loans, crop insurance, disaster assistance, and conservation programs. All these programs will be starting uh, for hemp in 2020 crop year. Uh, generally, if hemp producers are in states um, or in tribal uh, agreements uh, with a USDA plan, are operating directly under USDA authority, or this next year operating under the 20, current 2014 hemp Farm Bill hemp pilot program, uh, they will be able to participate in USDA conservation programs. Diversified producers who grow hemp will also be able to purchase whole farm revenue protection as long as they have at least a five-year history of farm income or three-year history of farm income for those that are beginning or veteran farmers. Farm Service Agency is developing loan programs for hemp producers, uh, which will be available on a limited basis. Uh, and we're talking about establishing operating ownership, beginning farmer and on-farm storage loans uh, for this next year. Many hemp producers will also be able to buy uh, non-insured crop disaster assistance, uh, which is offered through Farm Service Agency, which will give them essentially an insurance coverage in the event of adverse weather event. Um, that is gonna be established this next year and would be available where crop insurance is not available. To take advantage of these USDA programs, uh, hemp producers will need to file an acreage report with the Farm Service Agency. That's typically done after spring plantings are complete. Uh, so that would be uh, likely next summer in many cases or late spring. Uh, we'll also need uh, the USDA state or tribal production license or authorization number and they'll need to identify each field or subfield uh, or lot, uh, even greenhouses on which hemp is being grown. Uh, they'll uh, will also need to detail the intended use for that hemp, whether it's fiber or grain or seed uh, for, or other processing. Uh, so information, more information uh, will appear and, and is already available on farmers.gov, uh, the website for R3 agencies, uh, farmers.gov slash manage slash hemp. Uh, more information for how producers can access uh, the programs at farm production and conservation. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on October 29th. Corn was down at $3.78. Wheat was no change at $3.66. Milo was down at $3.23, and soybeans were no change at $8.09. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. <laughs> Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our cow-calf issue with a story by field editor Lacey Newland. 
Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes November 4th. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember... As Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. Life is for me Ride with us, HPJ Ride